Uh, several years ago, um, I had a chance to visit Salzburg, Austria. And it's a really beautiful city. It's on a river. It was famous, I think, uh, and became wealthy because of salt. Salts. It was, had salt mines. Um, it's famous for being Mozart's birthplace. Uh, there's lots of beautiful gardens and churches. And, and then, of course, there's lots of sights from the filming of Sound of Music, that movie that I, my sisters like to watch a lot, but I, I watched it too, I guess I have to admit. Um, but the day that I was in Salzburg, it was kind of off and on rainy day, but it really was um, a beautiful city. And at the end of the day, went back to the hotel and then just kind of wanted to walk around a little bit by, my, by myself. And just a few paces from the door of our hotel, I saw uh, three little brass blocks in the cobblestone. They're about four inches by four inches, and they had names and dates. And I thought, that's, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. And I walked further down, and maybe another couple blocks, I saw other of these, of these blocks. And being curious, I went online and searched a little bit about, about what these were. On the blocks were the names Joseph um, Mischler and Maria Mischler, and then the third one, Joseph Wallace. And I found that Joseph was a bricklayer, and his wife Maria kept house, and then their boarder, Joseph Wallace, was a house painter. They were just kind of ordinary people in Salzburg. Um, but that these blocks are what is called um, Stolpersteine. Am I saying that right, Sheffy? Yes, Stolpersteine. Yeah, Stolperstein which means um, stumbling blocks. Um, and the ones that I saw were only three of more than 500 in Salzburg. And they're part of a project by an artist named Gunter Demnig. Um, and there's 100,000 of these little plaques or stones placed across Europe. In 1943, the Michelers and Wallace were denounced by a neighbor and arrested uh, for listening to broadcasts of the BBC and for criticizing the Nazi war effort. And sadly, Joseph Wallace was executed in April 1944 for, quote, undermining the war effort and supporting the enemy. And Joseph Mischler was executed in July of 1944 for violations of broadcast news or laws and violations of laws regarding crimes against the people and for subversive utterances. And his wife, Marie, was sentenced to 10 years in, in prison before liberation and she later moved to England, uh, where she remarried. So seeing these little plaques after the walk of uh, very sentimental things of gardens and churches and um, Sound of Music sites was a pretty sobering way uh, to end the day. It's important uh, to never forget, or, or at least to over, not, not to overlook those things, that the ground cries out for justice, for the blood of the innocent. The earth is a beautiful place, and the earth can be a horrible place. That people can be a gladness and a joy to others, and yet people can do terrible things and cause tremendous pain to others. And again, like the story of Cain and his, the murder of his brother Abel, the violence and injustice requires an answer. And as God said to Cain, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground, cries out for justice. Now, of course, the blood of Christ is atonement for sin, and yet we live in the already and the not yet of his coming. And we declare the mystery of faith every Sunday as a people. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. 
The pastor and theologian Fleming Rutledge um, writes of the tension that we feel, especially in this season of Advent. She says, The disappointment and brokenness, suffering and pain that characterize life in the present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. Again, the pain that characterized life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glories that is yet to come. And in that Advent tension, the church lives its life. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. Now, I've felt that there's a particularly heightened tension in this season of Advent. Um, and ironically, that that tension is in the shortest season of Advent that is, is possible. It's only 22 days this year. There's war in Israel and Palestine. There's war in Ukraine. Um, war in many other places, floods and famine. There's domestic turmoil and um, spirit of lawlessness in our own country, in our own sort of streets in many places. And each of those injustices, each of those things of violence demand an answer. Closer to home, I kind of have wondered if all that is wrong was revealed, um, what would the pavement look like in my own neighborhood? If each of the wrongs that have taken place or are taking place, what would the pavement look like? What stumbling stones would we see? And as the psalmist wrote, he said, if you, Lord, kept a record of wrongs, Lord, who could stand? So what are we to do? Because it is, it's a callous um, injustice to forget. And yet there is, it's very overwhelming. What is the limit to the wrongs that we might remember? And then how can they be remedied, especially those that are past? In today's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, God declares the good news of future glory. And I think an answer to that dilemma, to that question. God says, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. This world, this present world, as, as Fleming Rutledge wrote, is subject to futility. And we see that theme throughout, um, named throughout scripture. Lives cut short because of the curse of sin. There's those who are die too young, those who die outside the prime of their life. There are many hopes that we have deferred of deeper friendships or marriage or children. There's sometimes the denial of the fruits of our labor where we work really hard at something and we don't get to enjoy the blessing of that in this time. There's the basic day-to-day -day of unemployment or underemployment. And then there's the, the big things um, that we might see of predation um, of people against others, and even the way in which there's, there's some kind of cruelty to create creation, that there's a groaning within itself. But this promise from Isaiah speaks of how the new heavens and the new, new earth will be released and relieved of futility, that there will be a fullness of life, that sounds of weeping and cries of distress will be replaced with songs of joy, that no more will lives be cut short or hopes deferred, that people will enjoy the fruits of their labors, and that there will be peace between the meek and the powerful. There won't be a predatory act between people. And the icon of this new creation is a new Jerusalem. 
Not a, a city that is merely reformed and reforming, but a city of righteousness and peace. A, a city in which God delights in his people and how they are and how they relate to him and how they seek him and seek his face. And the new Jerusalem that he will establish is a joy and a gladness to God. Now, it's, it's, it's important for us to recognize that this, this new creation, as much as we might like wild places and, and farms and hobby farms and those kinds of things, it's not a new creation of, of farms and homesteads, but it is a garden city. It's like an Edenic city. A city that is a poetic image of glory and of fellowship and of fruitfulness, people living together but in harmony and in blessing. The poetic images of this new creation um, are in categories of this present world of predators and prey at peace with one another and all people living to 100, but we can expect to beyond living eternally. Now, while all the other aspects of this creation are made new and renewed, it's, it's essential for us to notice that the serpent, the personification of evil, will be judged and laid low. That although these other things are made new, the serpent is judged and laid low. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind when people seek the Lord while he will be found and while people call on him while he is near. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind when the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts, but evil itself will be, will be crushed into the, into the dust. As Bishop Alex said to us um, in his visit last week, um, God has proclaimed comfort to us, his people. The groaning of this present age, this present time, is bruising um, and painful, and we can become, because of that, um, those cycles of, of pain and sadness, become reactive, we can become anxious, become jaded, vigilant, and sometimes even fearful to perceived threats. But Jesus, in the midst of this dark world, brings comfort and peace. He brings justice for the weak, justice for impossible solutions in which, you know, how do we determine who is victim and perpetrator? I had lunch with a friend, um, actually, over the last couple of months, um, and I think shortly after um, Hamas had attacked southern Israel, he asked me what I thought of the terrorism in Israel and the war in Gaza. He spoke of how it's a dilemma to him, the grief and outrage at the slaughter of, of Jews by Hamas, and then the grief for the death of civilians and destruction in Gaza and, and his sympathy for those people who have been dispossessed. It is a landscape, that particular place, whether we say Gaza or southern Israel, it's a landscape littered with stumbling blocks of injustice. But identifying each of those stumbling blocks, each of those individual discrete things, is, is very much incomplete. It's merely a reminder of sin without a path of forgiveness or redemption or sanctification. And focusing on just trying to know all the different things that have gone wrong can distract us from our own sin, our own need for salvation, and the ways, again, closer to home, that there might be stumbling blocks much, much nearer to each of us. If the Lord kept record of wrongs, who could stand? But with him, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve him. The hope of this new Jerusalem, the hope that is proclaimed within our passages from the prophet Isaiah today, is joyful news. 
that God creates Jerusalem a city, a garden city, to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. To be a joy in the midst of sadness and gladness to each other and to our neighbors, people who sing with joy to the coming king. People who rejoice in the hope of new creation, even while we can always very honestly repent and lament the futility of this present world. But that we can be people of hope and of joy who um, look forward to the promised inheritance and promised eternal justice of God, even while temporal justice, we, we seek it, but we know that it will be incomplete. And so we are people who rejoice always, who pray without ceasing, even while we might still groan with hopes deferred, the Holy Spirit making those articulate to God. And so we can be those not seeking um, retribution, not repaying evil for evil, but always seeking to do good, seeking to restrain evil and not execute retribution. The disappointment, the brokenness, the suffering, the pain that characterize life in this present world, it does create a dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come, and it is part of our Advent um, observation and celebration. And so we will, this Sunday, as we do each Sunday, proclaim Christ has died, Christ is will, will come again. We proclaim how he will create a new heavens and a new earth, and how the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And each of us might be heralds of good news to people who are faced with that dilemma and with that tension. Um, we might lift up that good news, being heralds of it, lifting it up without fear. For it is true, rejoice, surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.